Am I supposed to say my name in these intros? If so, I am LP Hernandez, and this is Dog Eared Nightmares. My guest for this episode is Jessica Leonard. We talk about her recent release through Ghoulish Books, Conjuring the Witch. I spent a lot of time talking about characters in this episode, as Jessica's character work really resonated with me. We talk about Jessica's inspiration and her frustration researching certain aspects of this story. We talk about craft, and I was surprised to learn where she aligned in the plotter-pantser communities. After the episode, stay tuned for a chat about the state of the podcast. I think it's going well. Don't you? Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of Dog Ear Nightmares. Today, my guest is Jessica Leonard. She is a Kentucky-based author of Antioch, but today we're going to talk about the book Conjuring the Witch. I'm going to begin this by reading my review of Conjuring the Witch, which is as follows. Uh, I cannot recommend this book enough. It is my introduction to this author and what a fantastic introduction. The story centers around Steve and Nicole Warby, recent transplants to the rural town of Lillen, with a small church fixated on managing the thoughts and aspirations of its women congregants. The church borders a forest, as does the Warby property, and there are witches in the woods, some say. I'll put this, the plot aside momentarily to share how impressed I am by Jessica's writing. She finds such a unique way to, of framing moments. They really jump off the page, as do her characters. Investing in characters is a lost art. To dedicate words to a scene of a man staring at a wall might seem wasteful, but did so much for me. To craft a character pays dividends later in the story, a simple sentence such as, Eventually, his wife would stop screaming, resonates in a way it wouldn't have had that investment not happened. Are there witches in this story? You'll have to read to find out. There are certainly devils hiding where they always do, in plain sight. So welcome, Jessica. Oh, thank you. That was lovely. Like, I feel like I got a little choked up, but that was, thank you very much for those words. We can just wrap up now, call it good? Yeah, I'm done. I'm ready to go. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to brag about your writing and I'm, I'm probably going to spend more time talking about your characterization um, later in the podcast, but really through the history of this podcast, this is the sixth episode. It's kind of the first time I've, I've taken some time to dedicate talking about characters, but you did it so well. I, I feel like um, I definitely want to highlight that. But to begin with, I am curious about what your relationship to horror is. And that's kind of across um, you know the media from books to movies did you was there a certain moment a certain movie a certain book I have loved horror for a very long time and I, I came to it sort of um, unwillingly in fifth grade I went to a sleepover and they watched Pet Cemetery. And I was horrified. I was upset. I never wanted to see any more horror again for as long as I lived. And, um, but that didn't last because all of my friends liked horror. Everyone was into horror. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I have to fit in. I have to get into this. So I was kind of like immersion therapy for a while. But eventually I came to love that part of it, that horror does scare me. 
and I don't shy away from that. You know, there's a lot of um, cool kids who love horror and they're like, oh, well, nothing scares me anymore though. And I am the exact opposite. Stuff scares me really easily. I love getting the jump scares, even the cheesy ones in movies. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think that makes me a better um, author in the long run, not necessarily better than whatever. Everybody comes to it differently, but it, it helps inform me. If I know that I would be scared of this, somebody else is going to be scared of it too. So um, it's been a long road getting to where, to where I am with horror. But I, if I'm going to watch a movie, it's a horror movie. If I'm going to read a book, it's definitely a horror book. Although, um, well, we can get to more of that later. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a big horror fan across the mediums. It's interesting you mentioned the jump scares because I didn't include it as a topic in our show outline, but it was something that I felt was, I wouldn't say bubbling under the surface of Conjuring the Witch, but there were a couple of times where I found myself like it was the equivalent. If this was on screen, it would have been a jump scare. And yeah. I'm remembering um, just, you know, a couple of scenes where you have your characters outside. I think in, in this one, it's the husband, he's outside. And all of a sudden the environment is a lot closer to him or like something just shifts really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can see it cinematically. Like if that had happened in a theater, it would have been like everybody kind of in the back of their seats in one of those moments. So I could see that coming through. Um, yeah, yeah I think about I think about my scenes as movies a lot while okay. I'm writing them, uh, those sorts of things. I get told that like after the fact, like, oh, this this was like a movie. I don't know if I, I think about it that way, but um, I get the the same kind of feedback. Um, and so fifth grade, Pet Cemetery. I think fifth grade was when I watched The Exorcist. Oh. And I, that's also when I got my own room to myself for the first time. So those elements combined means I didn't sleep well for about six months. Yeah. Um, but what point did you shift from just being interested in, in horror generally to writing fiction? Um, I knew that writing was something I was good at from a pretty early age. Uh, I would get really great feedback from teachers when we would have creative writing things. Um, I did write my first horror book in quotes uh, when I was in sixth grade because I had moved from Pet Cemetery way back to R.L. Stein, not Goosebumps, but Fear Street. So I wrote basically a Fear Street book where every, there were puns in it. Uh, <laughs> every chapter would end with the cliffhanger just to be resolved easily with the next chapter. You know, I learned quite a bit from that. And I would just write it on notebook paper and hand it out to my friends as I was writing. I had a group of people and they would read it. Oh, this is great. This is great. It was trash, but it was so fun. And so really early on, I was like, oh, I'll be an author. Having no idea that author is not really a profession that you get to have unless you're a very lucky uh, or, or wealthy person, I guess. <laughs> you have me and Laurel beat by two years. We both wrote our first no novels. I'm doing finger quotes um, when we were 13. So you had us beat just by a little bit. Ah, see, I'm a seasoned professional. And so when did that kind of change into, I mean, uh, I'm sure there's writing that happened before Antioch. When did this become more of a, um, I'd say, beyond just a hobby, something for yourself? Yeah, I, I would say 
2010, 2011, I started taking it seriously. And it was, um, my son was born in 2008. And so, you know, after you go through the the beautiful trauma of motherhood, uh, you have to come back to yourself and figure out who you are again. Um, or at least I did. And that was a big thing for me. Like, okay, who, who am I? How do I reestablish myself as a person outside of just being a mother and whatever? And that was something that I started doing. And I actually joined, um, lit reactor, the, the writing website, when it started, I was like very early on that and really started engaging in that community and realizing that, well, maybe I could get a short story published. And that was my whole goal was to have one short story published somewhere. And that would be cool. And then I hit that and you know how it is each, each little milestone. You're like, maybe I can have a little more, maybe I can have a little more. So that was, that was really what got me going there. Awesome. Um, we are now going to prepare yourself. I'm going to ask okay. you to give us your pitch of Conjuring the Witch. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, Conjuring the Witch is a story about a group of women who are in a church that is teaching submissiveness through using Bible verses to show that you should be submissive in a Christian home. And also the woods around the church are haunted. And that is Conjuring the Witch. <laughs> oh. um, so that it's one of the central elements the the religion is. And as you mentioned, and I mentioned in my review, it's it's kind of, it seems like every sermon, like this is the the theme of the month is, controlling or managing the, the minds of, of its women congregants, like you said, cherry picking passages to kind of validate um, that perspective. So I'm um, curious what your inspiration was from this element. Is it entirely fictional or was this uh, a personal history? Um, a little of both. I did grow up um, in a Christian household um, in a small town, and so did everyone around me, you know, in different churches, but we all had the same sort of upbringing because we are from a small rural area. And uh, my church specifically was not a doom and gloom and you have to be submissive type thing, but some of my friends did go to those. And something when you live in a small town is you go to your friends' churches for some mm. reason. So um, we would do that when I wrote um, early on in the book that like, okay, on Tuesdays is women's group and Wednesdays is fellowship. And like every day of the week is something to do with the church. Cause that really was my experience with it. When you're in it, you are in it. Um, but then the submissive aspect, I actually did have to do a lot of research about submissive wives in the, in the Christian church, because I didn't have any experience with that personally. So I had to um, do some talking to people that I knew that did grow up with that. And then also reading blogs online from women who do that sort of thing. And, um, but the sermons themselves, I, I enjoy writing the sermons a little bit because I've heard so many, I know that cadence 
and I know that thing of, okay, I can say this and your mind will take you here and I don't have to say it out loud. And those little things is, is a lot of fun to play with. <laughs> Was it frustrating to do some of that research and to read some of those blogs? It was the worst. Yeah. It, I, I hated it. Um, but so, I knew so you're, you're not a convert now. I, I did not convert to okay. that. No, I, I knew it was important that I understood though. Like I had to know it from their perspective in order to authentically portray it or, you know, give it a good shot in, in the book. And so I, I really had to go into it, but that was definitely the worst part of my writing experience <laughs> was researching and reading a bunch of Bible verses and a bunch of different preachers and focus on the family and all the worst things that I can think of. <laughs> so I mentioned in um, my review, and I think briefly after that, that you do put in work with your characters. And I'm really interested just writer to writer to talk to you about that. And although Nicole is the main character. We do spend a lot of time in Steve's head and I just love the choices that you made to create him. So I'm gonna uh, just hum a little bit and buy myself time because I'm trying to find a couple of things that I wrote. <clears throat> um, and I think for what I learned in your writing and it's the whole thing scribbled. Like if you're curious, if you end up coming to Ghoulish, I'll show you all the things that I wrote in here. I is that? that it doesn't take like um, a, it can be, not that your writing is simple, but it can be a simple sentence. And once you care about the characters, or you're invested in them, that simple sentence can do a lot of work. So um, in my mind, and this may sound weird to you, and if you're not familiar with this character, that's fine. Um, but I thought of the character Major Major in Catch-22. He's actually Major 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 Major. Yeah. And he's just someone that doesn't want to, like, he's uncomfortable, doesn't want to be there, like, tries to, like, it feels like his environment and, and the situation he finds himself in is beyond his capacity to deal with it. So yes. I kind of felt Steve was that a little bit. Um, so a couple of sentences. Um, he loved his wife and tried to avoid conflict at all costs. Conversation was often conflict in disguise. So basically implying that he'd rather not speak to her because sometimes even just speaking is conflict, just mm -hmm. with a bow on it. Um, a little bit later, Steve pulled out a Budweiser from the fridge and sat down at the kitchen table. He chose a point on the wall and stared, thinking of nothing, wanting nothing. And then um, about halfway through the book, uh, making sure there's no okay yeah didn't want to give any spoilers in this part but downstairs steve heard her and decided to stay where he was sometimes things needed to sort themselves out in a few hours he could go back to sleep then wake up and go to work once he could get back out to the fields everything was going to be okay things could sort themselves right out eventually his wife would stop screaming man <laughs> yeah so well done um how conscious are you as a writer? Is this something that just happens second nature or are you planting these little moments so that they have a payoff down the road? Definitely conscious of it. Um, character work is the most work I put into any sort of pre-writing. 
I want to know who my people are, what their motivations are, who their families are. Um, and I want to tell you about that. <laughs> it's very important to me for, for people, you know, even if they find the characters to be unlikable, mm -hmm. I think it gives something to them if you know their motivation behind why they're doing those things. And uh, yeah, so I very much, there's several, I adore Steve to death. I, <laughs> I am one of my biggest fears in putting out the book. I was like, people are going to hate Steve. Nobody's going to like Steve. And he's a precious little man. He's just, you know, he's a simple man. Um, but I put in a lot of work of dropping little things um, that I hope at the end of the book gave a good payoff for Steve. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a precious. <laughs> it definitely reminded me of people I knew in my life or know in my life. So it's kind of easy or not. It's easy to visualize. Um, we mm -hmm. talked about this being cinematic. I kind of start to form a mental picture because he reminds me of somebody. And then that just kind of creates the whole experience. I think in, it was the last podcast I, I spoke about. It's harder to be um, scared by reading something nowadays, because like I said, we're all adults and um, right. oft often what's on the news or um, what's outside your front door can be scarier than something you might read in a book. But when you can lose yourself because you're in that kind of, mental um almost dreamlike state and you're just in the headspace of this character then that's when those jump scares that you planted can really get you so yeah. um we may talk more about character work a little bit but uh i don't want to stay here too long um and we have talked about this a couple times but as we said the idea of managing the mind of women this is something nicole struggles with um from the beginning and like very early on, she's looking for ways to break out of her women's group by mm -hmm. getting a role that's um, never um, higher in the church that doesn't allow women. Um, so was this an environment that was crafted for her? And I don't want to be spoilery for no. someone like her to reveal themselves as not being submissive enough. So was the the sermons, the the kind of overbearing nature of this church was that an environment that you established so that someone could reveal themselves to be other? Yeah, yeah, probably so. It, I had to um, create that catalyst, I guess, to, to push forward what was going to be happening later on in the book. And that was a big one. And I think it's something that a lot of people a lot of women do struggle with in the church because there are a lot of places that, you know, you can't be a preacher in certain denominations or whatever, if you're a woman or obviously a priest, if you're Catholic, those sorts of things, there, there is a step down, but even in the Bible, there's examples of women who lead in that. And so it's kind of a, if, if you are a type of person that wants to look for that and find that, then you can. You can find justification for either end of it. You can find justification for smashing people down or lifting people up, depending on what your motives are. So yeah, that was something I kind of created to give those two sides of it, of using the same text maybe to lift one person up and push another person down. 
And you reference a character from the Bible, um, Deborah, which is someone I was not familiar with. Was that someone you knew going in? Like that was a plot element you already had kind of mapped out? Um, yes. Yeah. I knew Deborah. Um, my, I was raised by my grandparents. So my grandmother, um, a very religious woman, very, very lovely woman, but she had a fiction book actually about Deborah. Cause she was all about the Bible studies and she gave it to me when I was in high school and I could not have cared less about it, but I read it anyway. Cause I was just voraciously for, for, mm, I read a lot. <laughs> and so I burned through that and it's, it was written. I would, I have no idea who it was by or anything, but it was written like it was modern day sort of not setting, but the way they would talk was more modern day. So I kind of got into it. So yeah, Deborah, I knew going into that and she was in the old Testament, actually in the book of judges, she was the only female judge. So that was something that my grandmother was very excited about that. There was a woman and she was a judge and a prophet. (laughs) It was something Nicole was excited about. Didn't work out for her, though, with her ambitions. And uh, I learned something because I I didn't know who Deborah was, but um, you taught me about the Bible. So thank you for that. (laughs) These are not the blurbs I want. No, it is. Uh, You taught me about the Bible, L.P. Hernandez. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Um, We're about halfway through now, which is my favorite part. Of the episode where Jessica is going to read an ad from our latest sponsor. Take it away, Jessica. Dog-eared Nightmares would like to thank its newest sponsor, Spinach Hack. You're in the grocery store, there are children running amok, men leaving carts in the middle of the aisle to stare at the wall of cooking oil. If this isn't hell on earth, it's right next door. You're halfway through the checkout line and you remember, spinach. You forgot the bag of spinach you'll stuff into your refrigerator drawer for the next two weeks, only to throw away just in time for your next trip to the grocery store. Sound familiar? Spinach hack takes all the guesswork out of your grocery shopping. Go ahead, stay in the checkout line because spinach hack will deliver your bag of spinach straight to your garbage can. You never have to worry about buying or throwing away spinach again. Unlike some spinach delivery disposal services, we pick our spinach at the height of freshness. You could eat it if you wanted to. You won't, but you could. Use the promo code DOGEARS, no hyphens, and get 50% off your first month's deliveries. Yay. Yay. I'm soft clapping for you. Thank you. I'm not the only person that does that, right? you're the only one that I know okay (laughs) I love spinach so what we'll do we'll get the big and maybe you could say like lettuce or whatever we get the vegetables and then we we get the three pound bag of spinach and then we throw away the three pound bag of spinach uh like two or three weeks later okay no there is definitely clean out the vegetable drawer day in our household (laughs) where it's like okay I messed up this one's slimy now it has to go away usually not the spinach but yeah I think buying spinach is 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 pretty close to eating it (laughs) I like spinach (laughs) I do too um I just I I can't eat as much as is in those bags yeah that is true that is true you have to be very dedicated to salad on to our writing question are you a plotter or a pantser and 
what does either option look like for you? So I held back from earlier because I almost blurted this out. I am a pantser for the most part. Wow. I don't like to, well, I just can't really make a plot in advance. Um, and we, <laughs> I will usually start with a couple of strong scenes that I know are going to happen. Like something will spark my imagination. I'll say, Ooh, this. And then I'll build motivations around it. I build my characters more than anything else. I will build the motivations of my characters. So I know what they would do in the book, but I never know the end of my book. I might know the first mm, 25% of what's happening. And then I just have to build as I go from there. Um, and I might make a few notes. Okay, this is where we're going next. This is where we're going next. But it's always kind of as I'm doing it. It's kind of surprising. It's not that yeah. this is a super complicated plot. It's a, it's kind of a straightforward plot. But like I said, uh, I feel like the character work to me speaks to that um, there's some more deliberation there. So it's interesting to me that you have go in go into a twenty five percent and just let creativity. So you didn't know how this book ended when you sat down. No, I did not. I was bummed to find out how it was going to go. At a certain point, I was like, I, th I think probably 75% of the way through, I realized, okay, I know where this is going to go. I don't know how I'm going to tell you where it's going to go, but I know where it's going to go. Um, it does come to me, but I definitely start the writing process before I know what's happening in it. Um, there are some, and I've talked about this, I've kind of gushed about this, sir, some fantastic phrases, individual lines, and entire paragraphs. I picked a few I'm going to share, and then um, we'll just talk about them. So this one was, I think I showed it to my wife. I, I was so, like, as soon as I read it, I, I, I found her and showed it to her, pointed at this, said, read it. Mm. Um, forgetting made a monster bold, and boldness turned men to monsters. Are you proud of that one? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I like that. Um, and, and when I talk about jump scares, this isn't necessarily one of those. It's just your choice of a particular word that it just struck me as such an unusual choice, but it, it kind of made, it gave me a little shiver. So um, this is okay. So now there the elements of possibility of which has been introduced. This is Nicole talking to Steve. Lots of weird stuff has already happened around them. Steve's kind of um, handling it his own way. She says, you better come inside, Steve. You don't want to get caught out after dark, especially not tonight. She is hurrying. I don't know why hurrying. It just felt strange there. And I loved it because at this point, really haven't identified what this thing is. And... I just get this kind of visual of this kind of amorphous white wispy thing like speeding towards them. Yeah. Um, just a single line. You are, you are as worthless as a garden with no seed. Man gives you purpose. So this is where um, the women are, are being learned about being submissive. Yeah. And then a little bit later, it took someone who knew 
who would not be swayed by large eyes and tiny smiles. I just love that combination, large eyes and tiny smiles. Like I said, you don't need to open up a thesaurus to understand that at all, but it's just a combination of words and, and kind of where it lands in the story, what you're trying to achieve, it all worked so perfectly, so. Oh, I appreciate that so much. And those are things that I, I really like in there. So I'm happy to see them pointed out. <laughs> that makes my heart happy. <laughs> so I hope I didn't spoil this next part because I'm going to pivot to you and ask if you had a passage in mind that you felt showed off your writing chops. Okay, I did find a little something it's going to be very out of context, of course, but just a short little thing that I thought uh, was fun. I don't know if it's writing chops, but I liked it a lot. <clears throat> Says Nicole's voice followed her in. Once upon a time, a different coven lived here, long before the coven of the Lillen Assembly of our Lord. But it takes effort to kill a witch. Far more effort than a rope and a fire. You must be vigilant because no matter how deep you bury their bones, the earth will spit them back out. You can scatter their ashes to the wind, but they'll blow back in your face. You can chain them up and hurt them and make them bleed, but Sarah, oh God, Sarah, they will escape. <laughs> what page was that on? I'm curious if I underlined it as well. 100. Let me just flip through. Yeah, I had a little line next to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, this wasn't in our, our notes, but I'm curious. I, I thought Lillen kind of has, it reminded me of something and, and I may be totally out of my element discussing it, but is there some significance to that name itself, Lillen? Um, a little yes, a little no. I was just sort of searching for a name. I like to make fake towns. Um, and I did a little Google on the word and it was kind of a, um, oh gosh, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but I think it was like some, maybe from Jewish, um, yeah. things. And it was a demon that killed men, I think. <laughs> so, do you want to know where my brain went? Yeah, I do. So I heard Lillian and that reminded me of the Lilith fair. And I remember that was like an all female, you know, like Tori Amos and all them. And I was like, yeah, oh. I feel like I know what a, a Lilith or who, or it sounded mm -hmm. familiar. So it worked well for, for what you're trying to achieve. It's like on the border of it, but not quite. So even though that's not quite your, what you were intending, it, it seemed to work really well for this story. Yeah. I can't remember the exact process that got me to it, but when I found the word, it, it was nice and it, it sounds nice. So I, I was happy with that one. <laughs> Do you find it hard to name characters just in general? Um, sometimes I will spend a lot of time looking through baby name books and things like that. Like I know, okay, we're taking, they're about this age. So here's names that would have been popular around this age, or are they weird? Would they have a strange name? Are they not weird at all? Um, every now and then I'll ask my husband to help me with those. I'll say, okay, here's this guy. He's like this. What's his name? And he'll just shoot it out. But sometimes I'll accidentally name people like real character names or, you know, something from a TV show that I saw once. So I do have to give him a Google because maybe my brain's just thought of something, but it's, it's not a whole lot. They're pretty plain, pretty regular people. So <laughs> Feel the, the problem with writing short fiction is you end up going through so many names 
Like, I feel like I've done the name Andy three times. I, I can't name another character Andy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That That's hard. I always find it fun when you find, um, like in Stephen King's work, where he has a character with the same last name as another one or something like that. And I'm like, was it on purpose or is it just because there's only so many names and you've written too much, you know? <laughs> I'm going to have to use the the baby name. We actually, I think we still have a baby name book from when uh, we were, come to think of it, we didn't use any of the names that were in the baby name book for either of our kids. So, That's um, so funny. Um, yeah, but I'll have to like put a mark next to him when I've used him. Yeah, because sometimes I like to look by meaning too. Like okay. if I think, oh, this person has a significance, I'll look for a meaning of a name and see if anything strikes me not very often but sometimes <laughs> um also not on our, our show outline but what kind of reception have you had any feedback for this book yet a little bit okay I know it's relatively new yeah mostly good I think okay. so mo mostly positive it's funny because I want it to be like immediate blockbuster not just because of the obvious reasons but because and this sounds terrible maybe but I think it's really good and so I just it was one of those that I was sitting on for so long and I'm like mm -hmm. guys I just want to shake everybody and say read it please I think you're gonna like it I think it's gonna be fun so yeah it, it has not been huge yet or anything by like that, but it has gotten some some good feedback that I'm really proud of. Well, we're going to try to make yeah. it huge with this podcast. Let's get huge. <laughs> so, um, and I, you know, I, I'm sure you both, we, we both read a lot. I would assume you, I can see books behind you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you can't, but if I redirected the camera, you would see an entire wall of them. I was going to say, uh, I've got more here and here. <laughs> I got oh for Father's Day. Got my first book cart, so now the problem's going to be worse. Oh no, that's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I read you know mainstream stuff that is by the big houses, and it just feels flat sometimes. And I read this, and I think I started. I let Max know probably before I reached out to you. I was like, hey, this is really good. You know, I'm not that I'm surprised. I just I didn't know your work yet, so. Um, and he said, yeah, we thought so too. You know, we really loved it and all that stuff. So um, I hope, I will say this uh, for coming from a, a small publisher, independent publisher, Ghoulish Books, this is still better than a lot of the um, highly touted big publishers. I was um, so invested in the characters and the story and like I came away, I feel like I'm wrapping it up and I'm not, we have the rapid fire section next. I came away a Jessica Leonard fan. So that's my, we'll take the, the, I learned about the Bible. We'll swap that out with, I'm a Jessica Leonard fan. Well, we'll oh, I like that one better. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. All right. On to the rapid fire, just because it's rapid fire doesn't mean you have to answer super quick, but okay. what is your proudest moment as a writer? Oh, this is. This is this book? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think this book is, is my proudest moment as a writer. I think it's been a lot of building to this moment of having something that is like, oh, I don't know what people are not going to like about it. They'll surprise me and tell me what they don't like about it. But off the top of my head, I'm not sure what's wrong with it. So uh, this is probably my my happiest time. <laughs> Has anyone told you that they don't like something about the book? 
not personally, but I did do that thing where you look at Goodreads. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what I do is I'll go filter it so it only shows like the five stars and then I pretend like the other ones don't exist. See, that's nice. With Antioch, I because that was my first book. So immediately I was like, I want to see all the reviews. And then I realized real quick that I did not want to. And eventually you get kind of desensitized. And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't look at it at all anymore because I don't need to know. Um, but with this one first coming out, I was like, okay, I want to see him roll in. I want to see what happens. I want to see what people are thinking. And then you get that first one star and you're like, oh, well, let's see what other books that they gave a one star to or something yeah. like that, you know? <laughs> But yeah, it's all good. Everybody's going to have taste. So um, my one of my one star uh, reviewers gave five stars to Mein Kampf. So <gasps> I don't trust his judgment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about that. Then I feel like that's a five star review then. <laughs> yeah. I was very proud of it. What is your <laughs> ideal writing environment? Um cozy anything where I can be very very cozy ideally with a view to the woods I like we we live in the woods mm -hmm. if you can't tell by all the writing about the woods that I have but um if I can see outside but I'm not being bitten by bugs and I have a nice blanket that that's where I'm happiest <laughs> are you longhand or directly onto like a you know got your laptop uh, onto my laptop. I will make notes um, in notebooks and I, and I do a lot of that. If a line strikes me sometime during the day, I need to make sure I hurry up and write that down because I'll forget it. Um, but the actual writing all on my laptop. So what do you do when the words aren't coming? Oh, I quit. <laughs> That sounds like a joke, but that's pretty much it. Okay. If the words aren't coming, I am like, okay, no, it, it's not time for me then. And that's part of being a pantser, I think, mm -hmm. is that it's like, I, I'm trying to be creative in the moment. And sometimes those moments just aren't creative. So I just step away for a little bit, go do something else, come back later and hope for the best. So I don't consider myself a pantser anymore, nor am I really a planner. I do very, very basic planning, but when I was a pantser, this is something that I kind of carried over. So I'm interested if you do it as a pantser. When I start my story, I will read like the last five pages to oh, kind yeah. of to get me back into the flow. Okay. Yeah, 100%. And I take a lot of notes as I write, um, especially if the days of the week are important, then I have to keep a running tally of what day of the week it is. And uh, Max can attest to you that I will still mess that up because he had to write me and say, hey, you messed up your days of the week. <laughs> he actually did attest to that. That's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I had to go back and I couldn't figure out day of the week math. So I had to change a few little things. <laughs> Just name your chapters after the day of the week and the time. Oh, that's a good idea. I never thought of that. I like that. <laughs> okay. What is one horror trope we can leave behind? Oh, I knew this was coming and I did. I, oh, I have so much trouble with this. Okay. I... I'm going to say that thing in horror movies where we play a popular song, but really, really slow mm. in the soundtrack. It's not my favorite. I can get behind that. 
<laughs> I think it was uh, maybe two or so Christmases ago where there were two different horror movies coming out and they both did the slowdown thing with like a Christmas jingle. Yeah. Somewhat differently, but I'm like, there's a million songs that sound creepy, like with the right context. They must not like compare notes when they're developing their, um, you know, advertising plan for these movies. There's got to be somebody composing music out there that can give us something that's not just a pop song slowed down. So what is next for Jessica? Ah, I have no clue. Um, I am working on a new book right now. It's early stages, still planning out those characters and getting those first few chapters down. Um, It's not about a church, finally, but it is about um, family relationships and sort of those toxic relationships that you can't let go of for whatever reasons that you keep coming back to. So, And maybe there's going to be a monster in it. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm trying to work in a monster. There must be something about Kentucky. Yeah. Because I had Laurel Hightower on. I've got you on. And then my next guest, I think, doesn't live there, but was from there until recently-ish. Somewhat of a spoiler, I guess. Oh. What is your... What's that? We're the best. Yeah. I I don't know. There's (laughs) something in the water, I guess. It's bourbon. Something in the bourbon. (laughs) So what is your dog-eared book, literal or figuratively? What is the book you have come back to more than any other and why? Um, It's my favorite book, and it is Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger, which is very much not a horror story, um, but it is kind of my roots. And I think it goes to my style of writing a bit. I was in high school and early college, completely in love with kind of that classic Salingers and and F. Scott Fitzgerald and all that kind of stuff that they feed you uh, Mm -hmm. in school then. And I loved it. And I loved the way those words felt in your mouth when they said it and those great paragraphs and stuff. And the characters in those are so quirky and off. And I just, I absolutely love that book. Um, if I'm on an airplane, it's always in my purse because it's a comfort food for me. Um, I try to make at least one character in every book at some point say something that would be something Zoe would say in Franny and Zoe. So. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Conjuring the Witch may be a comfort book for someone in the future i hope so um so to to wrap this all up the important takeaway is i am a jessica leonard fan and i want to thank you for coming on to dog-eared nightmares oh thank you very much i've loved this this has been great thank you jessica leonard I recommend to writers at all levels to pick up a copy of Conjuring the Witch and look what Jessica did with the character Steve. I was uh, very impressed. Okay, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so that's problematic. The state of the podcast. First of all, I'm having a blast. Um, It was super cool to go to StokerCon and interact with people who have listened and um, those people told me to keep doing it, so we're going to. 
Um, one of the things I hope to achieve with this podcast, maybe not before I began it, but kind of as I got into it, is redefining normal. Um, a lot of writers write in a vacuum, so to speak. Um, and in that vacuum, you can start to question if your process or um, your aspirations are normal. So I've spoken to six authors at this point. We've had plotters and pantsers. We've had hybrids. And it's all okay. Um, they've all produced outstanding work, um, which was validating for me um, because at certain points, I think, um, you're going to question whether you're doing it wrong. And I think listening to these conversations where we talk about maybe um, where they've struggled or, or pushed through the struggle, like uh, Jessica said, when um, the words aren't coming, she stops. Um, so hearing the various approaches to writing, I hope that for my writers out there, for anybody interested in writing, you don't have to have ever written anything or ever planned to. Um, maybe you're just interested in the stories. Um, but for those out there that are writing, I hope you listen to something like that. And if it's it's an element uh, of you that you're hearing conveyed through these authors that you can commiserate. It's okay to plot. It's okay to, I don't know how to say it for pantser. It's okay to pants. It's okay to stop when you're not feeling inspired. However you get the words on the paper, wherever you draw your inspiration from, it's okay. So, we are going to keep doing this podcast. And if you've listened to other podcasts, of this podcast, other episodes, I should say, I'm not editing that. I'm leaving it in. We're not re-recording this. If you listen to previous episodes, this may be the first one where I didn't say his name. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you.